Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Well, welcome to episode 65. Today we're going to be talking about gun laws, which obviously has always been and probably always will be a very, very um, heated topic. And today we've got two guests on with us. We've got returning Robert McNamara of Trigger Smart, and we're uh, very happy to welcome Chris Knox and Firearms Coalition. Uh, before we get going with today's show, I just want to thank our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by MS Psychotherapy and Counseling. MS has helped thousands of adults, children, teens, and families. For more information about MS, please visit them online at mnspsych.com or you can give them a call at 973-341-9869. So, uh, Robert, Chris, thank you both for being on. Well, thank Hello, you. how are you doing? All right, so um, those, Hello, of you, those of you who have, um, have been with us for a while remember that last year we had Robert McNamara on for the first time. And he is the uh, founder and creator of Trigger Smart, which has a patented RFID uh, childproof smart gun. And we talked with him about where he was in the process of developing the smart gun and the technology. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk today with Robert about how things have developed and the impact that some of today's laws have had. And then we're going to have uh, Chris's position on the technology. Uh, talk about some of the laws, and then uh, we're going to take calls from uh, you guys. So let's uh, let's first introduce both of you. Let's start with you, Robert. Just give us a little background uh, for those of, of of our listeners who had missed you last time. Tell us a little bit about you and about okay. your company. Um, TriggerSmart uh, was founded to try and solve a problem of accidental discharge of weapons which cause a lot of injuries and fatalities every year, uh, especially uh, quite a lot, a big percentage, about 70% of those injuries are children 18 and under. So we thought maybe there's some kind of safety system that could be um, adapted onto guns that would make them safer and cut down these numbers of accidental discharges. So we looked at the, the problem and then we thought about a solution and we saw that um, biometrics was one of the obvious solutions that comes to mind but why with biometrics being um, well proven and um, out there and available why it wasn't adapted and we saw two main reasons why it had failed to reach the market and that was um, speed and reliability um, it takes time to analyze biometrics and of course, it's not 100% reliable if your hand is dirty or you have a glove on your hand. So then we looked at other solutions, which brought us to radio frequency identification, which again was newer technology, but has 
now been around for a number of years and is well proven. And the benefits of radio frequency identification is that it works in real time. It's much more affordable. It's cheaper. It fits easier into the handle of a gun. And it works in real time. It uh, can be authorized in about a quarter of a second. Now, uh, for those people that don't understand, um, the difference between the biometrics and the radio frequency, can you just give them a brief uh, explanation and also talk about some of these other gun companies that have been around that require the use of a wristwatch or a ring to activate the gun? How does um, Trigger Smart differ? Well, um, there are some other technologies which went for a grip recognition, whereby you put about 32 sensor points on the handle of a gun but the idea was that each person has an individual grip and that's but the problem is people the individual with the individual grip grips are different every time depending on whether it's hot cold stressed or relaxed so the, the likes of grip recognition failed and it also takes time to analyze if somebody's pointing a gun at you in an emergency situation somebody like a law enforcement officer or if there's an intruder in the home, we'll want to use that gun immediately. So they want immediate access without delay. And radio frequency identification solves that. Once a person is wearing an RFID tag in the form of a ring or a bracelet, the gun will work in real time. Okay. Um, I want to get back to you and talk about the progress of Trigger Smart and the technology, but I'd like Chris to introduce himself. Chris, tell us a bit about you and your involvement with the Firearms Coalition. Hi, Peter. Thank you for the invite. And uh, Mr. McNamara, welcome to you as well. Hello, Chris. Nice to meet you. We're the Firearms Coalition. My brother and I run it. We uh, are the sons of Neil Knox, who was a well-known uh, firearms writer, editor, publisher, and eventually moved to the helm of the NRA's lobby. Uh, he, uh, over the years, he eventually moved up to a pretty high level in the NRA until Charlton Heston beat him in an election by about four votes. Um, the, um, the Firearms Coalition exists to continue uh, Neil Knox's ideas and to uh, uh, make sure that his voice continues because once he, because what he had to say was important, uh, both uh, politically and uh, socially, from the uh, for firearms. Um, what we do is uh, primarily we're writers and publishers. We uh, put out a newsletter and a uh, periodic columns. I have a uh, we have a column that we share in Frontsight Magazine, and then uh, uh, Jeff has one on WorldNet Daily which is a, uh, a web news magazine, and we have our own, our own website, firearmscoalition.org. And our role is to support grassroots lobbying and, uh, and advocacy. And so that's pretty much what we do. Okay. Um, all right, now before we get into the meat of what we're going to talk about, I just want to check in with you, Robert. What is the update yeah. as far as Trigger Smart? Um, because the last time we were, we were talking, you were, had the technology developed and your goal was to get um, or to bring awareness to it and then to see if you could get a manufacturer on board, somebody who would be willing to implement the technology. So where do you guys stand right now? 
Well, I'm making a little progress on those matters. Most of the time we go, we're going sideways. I've had to uh, personally get back to what I used to do before and uh, making a living, which has distracted me as well because I needed to <laughs> pay the rent, as they say. Um, we have um, interest now from a gun manufacturer in America who is a household name. I uh, can't give that detail out at the minute, but what we need is a purchase order. Uh, somebody, we are, somebody is willing to, to uh, chew it up and start making these guns once we provide them with a purchase order. And quite frankly, that's what I'm actually uh, doing out here in the Middle East at the moment. I'm, ringing, I'm phoning in from Dubai, is uh, meeting some people out here in the Middle East that are interested in uh, putting together a purchase order. Because a purchase order, the missing piece of the jigsaw for us all along, has been a gun manufacturer to come on board. We have the technology. It's like we have the plans. We know how to build a house. We just need somebody to say, right, they want the house built. And the missing part there, as I say, was the gun manufacturer. We have all those things in place now. So now hopefully I'd be uh, in a position to offer to the market maybe within 12 months um, smart guns. But in okay. the meantime, we have a bit of testing to do, yeah. Now, you know, one of the, or at least my understanding is, one of the, the main obstacles that smart gun technology has in general is that there are states like New Jersey, where I'm from, um, that has laws that are going to kick in um, once smart gun technology is introduced into the state. And uh, in New Jersey, it's the child-proof handgun law, and this was signed back in 2002, and it essentially says right. that once smart guns are available and sold in New Jersey, then they've got to be sold exclusively. Every gun's got to be a smart gun, essentially. So do you, do you have be... that as an obstacle? No, no, no. Actually, I think nearly everybody, including the promoters of that law back in 2002, now agree that um, it did focus attention on the whole thing at the time. It, got, it probably got up the nose of uh, a lot of opposition people, but it didn't work, and it's not the way forward. I think that um, the best way is to offer consumers a choice, to make these guns, to either set up a pilot scheme to make 50 or 100, have them properly field tested, then lab tested, and tested by, you know, independent people, prove the viability of them and offer them to the consumer, the general public, over the counter. Let them buy them if they want them. If they don't, that's fine. Um, but I don't think uh, mandating and forcing people to buy guns is the way forward at all. Well, Chris, that's one of, uh, or at least my understanding is, that's one of your issues uh, and the NRAs in general. And I understand that you know, you're not here as a representative of the NRA. Um, but one of the challenges that the NRA has, has looked at with respect to the smart gun technology is the fact that they don't want the government to mandate what you can and can't do with respect to the technology. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Yes, that's, that's exactly the case. And I think that Rob and I are very much in agreement that we want to see consumer choice. If there is a mandate as the New Jersey law that says once this kicks in, you can't have any, anything else, then it's going to cause, uh, that's going to create opposition, and I'll be in there doing everything I can to lead the charge. However, I'm not a Luddite. I, I work in technology. I'm not going to try to stand against technology. There may be some, uh, some technological 
tools here that are usable, and uh, there may be a place for this. Frankly, I uh, guns uh, operate on uh, 18th, 18th century technology, and they've got uh, and uh, 19th century mechanics, and so we are um, we're due for a breakthrough. And but as long as that breakthrough isn't isn't muddled by laws, then I think that uh, I think that we could have something uh, something interesting happen. On the other hand, given the state of the art now, given the state of this technology now, I don't think that it would be my choice because it would add expense and have little return because I practice proper gun safety and any child around me that knows how to talk the first thing that I'm talking to them is uh, four rules, which is stop, don't touch, leave the area, and tell an adult. So there may be a place for this. There may be a use for it. Um, the most common gun used to kill policemen is his own gun. Is that, will police, uh, will police adopt it? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. We'll let the market decide that. Uh, now, Robert, one question that we received this week in preparation for the show, it's an interesting question. With respect to the technology that Trigger Smart has, obviously the idea behind it is safety, primarily um, child-proof, proofing the gun so that, that children don't accidentally discharge the gun. Um, but one question that came up was, what happens if the gun is in a home and there's an intruder? And the individual who has access to that gun, who's permitted to fire that gun, is not around. Is there a way that someone who doesn't have, um, you know, the authority to use it could use it? How would that work in an emergency situation? Well, you can have um, partner recognition or group recognition. It's same as you have um, maybe you and your wife and your kids all have a key to the house. You can have multiple um, tags authorize the uh, the gun but uh, unauthorized individuals then like uh, an intruder in the home um, would not be able to use that gun against you as I was on I was on another, another uh, show last night and I was asked a very similar question by the host who said if he was in the shower I said hopefully you don't feel like you have to bring the a gun to the bathroom with you <laughs> but you know at least um, if an intruder comes into the house they can't use your weapon against you I mean we're not we're not going to eliminate every single eventuality or possibility of um, an intruder getting into the home and 10 guys over pouring one. No, it's not going to work that way. But what it would help do is if, if the gun owner is careless, and not everybody is res as responsible as Chris has demonstrated there, but some people have uh, nephews and nieces around for a play date and the gun is you know, left in a drawer or under the bed and at least it will prevent his nieces and nephews of playdates play um, using a gun in the house um, to bad effect. Now, you know, one of the main things that I've been reading uh, as far as opponents to this technology, and, and they're, they're, you know, anti-government control sort of people, um, their main objection is, well, there's a kill switch, isn't there, on this technology and what is to stop law enforcement or the government in general from shutting down your weapon? So what's the answer to that? Well, I don't know of a way that 
that that can be done um, from a distance, that somebody can do that. Yes, you could create a safe zone around uh, certain protected buildings like an airport or like they have those kind of security, yes, and there's benefits there, but like some from some satellite um, penetrating somebody's house out in the country and remotely disabling their guns, I don't know that that technology exists. What's the what's the frequency or the range of uh, the radio, um, you know, the radio frequency? What are we talking about as far as range? Is it close range or to, can you get distance? No, no. The ideal uh, situation for our technology is that it just works in, in the close grip of your hand. But in a situation where, let's say, a police officer might be overpowered by an, or outnumbered and have his gun taken off him, once the gun is separated more than a couple of inches from the tag, it'll be immediately disabled again in about a quarter of a second. So, I mean, okay. it just works in your tight grip. Once you're it. separated, it won't work. This is a safety. It's like to say, it's not going to, it's not going to cover everything. But like a seatbelt in a car, everybody agrees now that, you know, that seatbelts do help reduce that. My own son was in a serious car accident when he was five years of age had his bowel ruptured as a result of having the seatbelt on him. But if he didn't have the seatbelt, I don't know if he'd be with us today. Right. So, I mean, I think that this safety will, will help reduce deaths. And that's, that's, that, in effect, would be a success. Chris, what do you think about the idea of uh, creating zones where um, the technology would not work? It would disable guns. What do you think about that? Well, it would be fair. It would be hopeful at best because it's very easy to. It would be very easy to create a gun that would function just fine regardless of that zone. When you go back to the 19th century technology, the thing about technology, and I'm, I'm sure Rob will understand, will agree with this, is that you can't uninvent what's out there. And so, my friends in the in the gun community who oppose the technology on its face are being silly because the, there's no way to, roll to to unwrite that page. Same goes for the 19th century technology of, of springs and, and levers that constitute, uh, well, my 1911-45 that I'm looking at right now, it's, that gun doesn't care what kind of RFID beam you throw at it, it's going to fire. Now. And, it's, and I'm going to treat it as such. And this gun can be made on any, uh, can be replicated on, on a CNC machine or by hand with that, on a milling machine by a skilled machinist or a CNC machinist but that, uh, that by someone who doesn't have so much skill. So once the technology is out there, it's there. And that goes for 19th century technology as well. So... You know, I, I get the idea of the safety element of it, and I agree with the uh, with the technology. But what concerns me in general is the current state of legislation. Uh, look at look at Massachusetts, for example. Now we all know what happened in Massachusetts, which really I think uh, kickstarted this this whole very strong anti-gun campaign. But you know, just recently, the Massachusetts House pass legislation that's going to you know, even tighten the gun controls um, more so than what they are. And my understanding is that now with respect to uh, permit applications, 
they're at the discretion of the police chief. Now, are you guys familiar with that as far as uh, this, this developing legislation in Massachusetts? I, mean, I haven't been following. Yeah, I, I haven't been following that directly. I know that the Massachusetts Bartley Fox Law is one of the strictest in the country, and it's just an example of what uh, what government will do. They keep on tightening the screws down, and uh, having progressively quote stronger laws. In your home state of Missouri, or excuse me, of uh, New Jersey. There's a mother of three who ran afoul of New Jersey's labyrinth of a gun law, and uh, she's facing three years in prison and a felony conviction and uh, because she had a Pennsylvania concealed carry permit, but somewhere along the line she drove across a bridge and that made her a felon. Right. So those are, those are the risks, and those are, those are the human risks of, of gun laws misapplied against innocent, ordinary people. Is New Jersey safer because uh, Shanine Allen is off the street? Probably not. You know, it's, it's interesting because even with the introduction of the smart gun technology, it seems that there is such a anti-gun sentiment right now. Uh, Hillary Clinton just the other day uh, made a speech, and she was talking about opponents of gun control laws are terrorizing Americans. I mean, that's a, that's a very bold statement. And we already know that in, in an election campaign, she's going to you know, focus on this idea of, um, of anti-gun and I think probably appeal to parents and, and especially women who might not um, you know, feel comfortable with, with guns. So, you know, this tide is, is shifting in this anti-gun world, and even with the technology of the smart guns, it seems as though government is saying, wait a minute, you guys shouldn't have guns. Forget your Second Amendment rights. And a lot of people who say, look at uh, the deaths that occur in America because of gun violence, you know, the stats are all um, skewed. They point to places like the U.K., because the U.K., it's, it's nearly impossible to get a gun. But people across the pond are, um, are, are consistently saying that they have safer environments. Now, Robert, you're based out of Ireland, correct? Correct. So what, I mean, you, you live it, you see it there. What do you think about um, this idea of the U.K. and their very strict gun laws? How does that compare to the U.S.? Um, and so many years ago, there was um, a massacre similar to some of the ones we've seen in America in Dunblane in Scotland, where, again, there was a school, school uh, yard situation where I think about 12 or 13 kids were massacred. If, forgive me if I haven't got the numbers right. But um, at that point, Tony Blair was the prime minister in England. He bought in very strict gun laws. They haven't had an incident like that since. And... Um, you know, gun massacres are very rare, almost non-existent. So I think in that case, but there is, you see, you're talking about a totally different world. There's a different culture. There is, I wasn't brought up with a culture of guns um, in around the house. Or, they're much rarer. I think there's, um, at the time we had the troubles in the north of Ireland, and actually handguns of any description were banned because you did have a civil war going on in the streets. So even 
toy guns were not allowed to be sold in the shops because um, in case there were, um, mis- you know, somebody thought it was a real gun and ended up shooting over. So we just weren't brought up with a gun culture of it and we weren't brought up. Like, I probably only heard about the Second Amendment and what it meant a couple of years ago, whereas the kids in America are all grow up with that and, and know what it is. It's just a much bigger issue. Do you think that... Well, do you think that the restrictions on guns in the U.K. makes the U.K. safer? And do you think that the people who are saying that there should be stricter gun laws in the U.S. and look to the U.K. as a model, do you think that that's an appropriate, um, you know, connection to draw? Can you say? I don't. Strict- I don't because I think it's... But, but when I try to talk about gun safety, most people drag it into gun control. And they say it's not gun safety. You're really trying to get in the back door of gun control. We're not. They have brought in measures in the UK about, we'll say, um, ballistics reports and shot detection. I know in, in the UK, if you have a gun, as far as I know, you have to go and have it to get ballistic reports done in it. So then if there is a shooting, then they find the bullet, they can trace the bullet back to the gun owner, and in, it increases their success of solving crimes like hugely. Whereas something like that, to try and sell that in America just wouldn't, wouldn't be on. You know, it's just people would see that as gun control. It's the, the good guys paying for the odd bad guy that's out there. Whereas I think the good guys should want the bad guys to be prevented and stopped. Right. All right, we have a caller. I'm going to bring a caller on the air. Let's see. Uh, caller, are you there? What's your name and what's your question? Hi, my name is uh, Robert Bertrand. Uh, I used to work with the Armed Citizen Project, so uh, my, my, my question mainly is how, how, how much, uh, um, I guess, pushback are you getting from this uh, technology? Like, are, are, you know, the pro-gun groups, like, going at you? Me, just for me, uh, yeah, I've had a few death threats um, uh, from people through, I don't know, social media and that, uh, Twitter and things. Um, but I obviously I can't really pay much attention to that. Um, but I've had a mixture. Even I've spoken to some people from the NRA who recognized uh, one guy quipped at me, I, we know this uh, technology is coming down the track and we'll deal with it when we have to. I know that people 100 years ago, Harstrong, uh Taxis objected to motor cars coming into business in competition with them on the basis that they were going to break down and be crashing all the time. Well, we still have, we still all adopted to the to the car. So I think this technology will be around with us in five or ten years' time, whether they're trigger smart guns or somebody else's. They're definitely coming. Well, you see, I, I, as long as you have a choice, I, I don't see the problem because I mean, again, my. You know, I have an autistic son, so I, I definitely don't trust him with a gun. Um, so, I mean, like, for my situation, that might work. If I was, a, you know, single, you know, and I had no kids, I mean, I think I'd just go with my my regular, you know, gun. But that's all I had to say. I just wanted to thank you guys. No, I think, I think the issue, really, and I think it's across the board, I think that everyone agrees that the real issue is... is mandates and and legislation that says um you know your second amendment rights don't matter having a choice and 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 having this technology i think is a good thing but um you know i think uh that what's really important here 
is that we've got to be aware of the laws and what they're doing to our culture and what they're doing to uh, our rights as American citizens. Because you've got people who don't seem to understand the handgun or the gun culture, and they blame all of, of the violent crimes in America on guns. But if you look at the statistics, you know, most, and, and you guys, um, you know, Chris, you probably know better than I do, but my take on the statistics is that most deaths in, um, involving guns is because of unregistered, unlicensed guns. Not people who are properly maintaining guns, who have licenses, who protect them, who teach their kids. I mean, regardless of, of the technology, you're not going to have a criminal who is going to go out and, and purchase a gun legally. Do you agree with that? Right. And that's, that's an important point, is that somebody who is, is disrespectful enough of the law to kill somebody is not going to say, oh, wait, I've got to go get this gun licensed and registered. And I live in Arizona, which uh, the whole concept of, of licensing and registration is kind of quaint or foreign. But the, the idea that somebody is, that someone of bad intent is going to stop or to, to comply with this bit of legislation is kind of silly. It's also one of, the, one of the points that I'd like to try to get across is that in the great gun debate, people only look at the, uh, when they're talking about the bad things that come from firearms, they don't look at the, the benefit side of that equation. And that's an important side of it. If we looked at only, the, at only car deaths, how many car deaths in America? And you know what? It's horrible. I, drive, I have to drive on the freeways, and this scares me to death because there's a lot of bad things out there. I drive in with a seatbelt, and I do all of that stuff. But there's also the benefit side. I'm not going to give up cars because people die in cars. And, and with guns, we have the same kind of thing. And with this technology, it's the same thing. This is, the technology is neutral. And it sounds like the technology could be really useful, as in the case of an autistic son. It's a defense in depth. And I, I, I totally agree, uh, agree with that idea that you, if, as, if nothing else, if everything else fails, I've got this technology that the kid isn't going to get a hold of it because I can keep a house gun and be able to protect the home, and yet I'm not putting my children or my, uh, the rest of my family at risk. Uh, Robert, caller. Well, can, Robert, I, can, I Robert. Chris, can I ask Chris one question? Uh, sure. And that is, are you glad that on the highway, which you travel every day, that there are speed limits and that there are laws against drink driving and laws that were, are stronger and more enforced now? than maybe drink driving laws that were around 20 years ago, and that those have proven to help reduce um, some of the carnage on the roads? If, if a law has effect, has good effect, then it may have, then I'll support it. The, like in Arizona, we've, uh, we've, raised the tech, we've raised the speed limit to 75 miles per hour in uh, in Texas, they're pushing it up to 85 in some places. There are places where if more, in general, from my viewpoint, more freedom is good. The bad people are going to do bad things. The bad people are not going to be contained by law. And I think that to analogize, to analogize 
traffic laws to yeah, the gun laws, I agree. It's a little bit of a false uh, false analogy. Yeah, now, but uh, there, there is there, but but one of the things too worth noting is if you look at the last I don't know half a dozen um, massacres, you know, then the cinema and the shopping center, Gabby Giffords and Adam Lenz and those, they were they were legally held firearms. I think more than ninety percent of those massacres were with legally held firearms. Yeah, somebody drove to them. You know, it's it's the the firearms are there. You're not going to unmake the technology. You're not going to unmake this. 19th and 20th century technology of the guns. I agree. Yeah. Anymore, then we'll unmake the 21st century technology of the smart guns. So right, let me ask. Let me ask the caller a question real quick. Robert, are you still with us? Yes, sir. Yes. All right. So what's uh, what's your opinion? First of all, are you a gun owner? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. My, uh, I, just, what, I just keep it hidden. Right now, do you? How many kids do you have? You have more than one. I have two. Okay. And do you educate them about gun safety? Um, my, my daughter's too young to uh, understand. I just don't want my son to know that we have a gun, uh, so I right. keep it far out of reach. Now, the, this RFID technology that uh, Robert McNamara is talking about, is this something that you as a gun owner would be interesting, interested in having? Uh, yes, for home defense, I think. Um, but like if if I you know if if I go out and get my concealed carry permit I I don't think I'd want that. Um, but uh, unlike a police officer, I I would have my weapon concealed, so it, it's a different story altogether. Do you? I, I did want to touch. I did want to touch upon his his statement about the uh, the mass murders. Um, he's correct. The, the vast majority of uh, these mass murderers are. Uh, you know, legal gun owners. They've never committed a crime in their life until that day. But they, they represent such a tiny percentage of overall gun crime. I mean, it's it, the chances of you being involved in a mass shooting are the same as getting struck by lightning twice. I mean, it's that minuscule. I mean, the ch- it's so such a small part of the entire problem. And even that has trended downward uh, over the last 20, 30 years. Same with crime in general. All crime in America has continued to decline uh, at the same time as people continue to buy guns at record rates and, and get carry permits at record rates. Well, that that really comes down to, I think, one point. And regardless of um, of the technology, it seems as though it's the gun owner the legal gun owner, and you look at the recent massacres, right? The gun owner has failed to properly secure their weapon. So, you know, how, I, I guess the argument that people are making with the technology is that in the case that you have a negligent owner, the technology would prevent a child from taking the gun and going to school with it. So, Robert McNamara, that's your, that's your position, right? So in, in case of a negligent gun owner, there's a safety mechanism in place. Yes, and we're, we're hopefully uh, promoting um, good childproof guns. Now, uh, Chris, what is your take on educating people? Because there are those opponents to gun law or, or to gun ownership that, that say, "Well, wait a minute, we've got to have a universal background check. We've got to make sure that if there's anybody in your family who's had any psychological evaluation that you're, you know, 
obviously excluded from, from getting your permit. What do you think about uh, gun education and then this idea of universal background checks? I totally support gun education. I, and any child old enough to say his ABCs should also know stop, don't touch, leave the area, tell an adult. It's that simple. Now, as far as mandating things that, uh, you know, the whole idea of permits, licensing, those only affect the people that you're not worried about. Uh, the, and the, quote, universal background check is really a, it's a false front. The, what that actually is, it creates a registration system, even though it says this shall not create a registration system. Well, you can call it anything you like. You list, you create a registry of a list of who owns what guns, and it's, uh, and then give that to the government. And that is gun registration. I don't care what you call it. So I want to, uh, I, again, I'm a technologist. I support uh, what, what Rob is doing with this, with this technology. It sounds interesting. In the case of, of our, caller's, uh, our caller's case of, being a, uh, of having someone in the house who uh, wouldn't be able to be trusted with a gun, and yet he can have a gun for defense. It's a last ditch. Um, having that gun that would, uh, that the trigger gets deactivated, you hope. I, I, I am a, being a technologist, I believe in Murphy's Law, the worst, the, what will go wrong, what can go wrong will go wrong. And I'm confident that that gun will not fire when I want it to, that it will fire when I don't want it to, and that applies to my 1911 here as well as to a smart gun. It's the, the technology is technology, and really and truly technology is not smart ever. So, All right. Uh, let me just let the caller go, Robert. Uh, caller, thank you very much for calling in. Uh, we'll be thank in you. contact with you. You're the first caller of the show, so you get a free mug. So thanks for calling in. Awesome. All right. Have a good day. Take care. All right, so Chris and Robert, let me run this by you, because uh, this is an interesting question that came across my door earlier this week. There's an individual in Pennsylvania, and obviously Pennsylvania is fairly um, – easy with respect to owning a gun. There's concealed carry uh, ability. Um, so in this case, there's someone in Pennsylvania who has their concealed carry permit. Everything is legal and registered. And um, they're out in front of their house and they're gathering up their children's belongings. They were like, you know, the kid was out in the front yard playing and uh, it's time to come in. So the, the parent's out there and he's picking up all the stuff. And as he's out there with his kid, a dog comes running across the street, and he's not on a leash. The dog was, was crazed, and this guy panicked and thought that, you know, hey, my kid's in danger. I might be in danger. So he pulled his gun, and he shot at the ground and scared the dog. Neighbors called the police because of the discharge, and they seized his gun. So what do you think about that? Let's just talk just gun rights in general. What do you think about that? From from my viewpoint, that sounds Chris, you there? I think you're cutting Chris, out of that. I'm sorry, I turned the, turned the mute on. I'm sorry. From That's my right. viewpoint, that sounds like a good shit, like a good shoot, and they should not have swooped down on him like they did. And he didn't even kill the dog. 
No, no, just shot at and, the ground. Yeah, I've I've got a problem with warning shots, but on the other hand, if it worked, then uh, or if it's a miss, okay. And if it was a controlled miss, that's fine. Um, it uh, it's certainly better than some of the stuff that the police officers have been doing. Some police departments seem to have a routine. Uh, have a uh, standard operating procedure of shooting dogs, which is out of line. But it sounds to me like that's a violation, and that's the kind of thing that we eventually get to where if someone uses, is a victim of a crime or a victim of some circumstance, in this case an unleashed dangerous dog, then they become a victim again of the state, which again, which starts acting like, the unleashed dangerous dog, so which is the larger risk because the state's a bigger dog. Now, you know, this this to me is a warning sign because, you know, I've got uh, a number of friends in Pennsylvania, um, a lawyer friend of mine who owns a lot of guns. He's got a safe in the basement, a safe upstairs, and he's got four kids. And, you know, he's doing everything right. Pennsylvania has relaxed laws on, on guns. And here you've got the police seizing a gun when everyone around, even the caller who called the police, identified the fact that he didn't harm the dog, that he shot into the ground, and that it was a protective measure. Yet the, the police have seized his gun, and at this point he has no idea if he's getting it back or if there are going to be charges filed, which I can't imagine. But is this the changing tide in this country, where here you have a state like Pennsylvania that has relaxed, relaxed laws, yet Police are now saying, well, this isn't legal and that's not legal because of this overwhelming support for anti-gun legislation. Do you think that that's – now, I understand this could be an isolated incident, but my concern is that this, this tide of you know, Hillary Clinton saying that uh, guns are no good and everybody who supports guns is no good and you're a terrorist, essentially. You know, do you think that law enforcement is picking up on this, that government in general is picking up on it? And uh, I mean, Because we all know that, that Obama's – um, goal back in 2012, he said clearly, I want to implement very strict gun laws. Do you see this particular case as a warning sign? Absolutely. This is the kind. It's it's a it's an isolated incident, as you say, but it is a it's a straw in the wind, and it is it tells us which way the wind is blowing. And the you know I. One thing I do appreciate is that Mrs. Clinton was at least honest, and she's, she's taken off her mask. Uh, back when she was running against Barack Obama for the president for the Democratic nomination, she was uh, she got all uh, got all dewy-eyed talking about going out in the in the uh, in the woods with her dad and shooting the 22. And which most gun owners kind of read that and went, huh, and or maybe gagged a little bit. But the um, the whole trend is of the idea of gun control is coming back. It went away in 1994 after the Clinton assault weapons quote quote bill uh, was passed by the 103rd Congress, and that Congress got voted out of office. Wholesale, uh, they defeated an NRA-rated sitting Speaker of the House who had voted for that bill. Uh, Tom Foley was is no longer the Speaker of the House because of that. So, for 20 years, that um, 
that issue was radioactive. Um, is it going to be radioactive again? I'm hoping that it does become radioactive because, but first we need to get the gun owners to go out and vote their gun, vote their gun rights in the election of 2014. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we now have a record vote in the Senate, and I'm hoping to see a few politicians feel the heat and who will see the light and maybe decide this isn't such a good issue to run on, at least not in certain parts of the country. In Colorado, I want to see some people, uh, some people sent home. Um, and and uh, the, there are a few politicians out there. Now, Robert, let me ask you a question. I mean, you were talking about uh, politicians. You've had a lot of, um, of trips um, to Washington. I've seen you with a lot of uh, political characters. What's, uh, what's yeah. their take on your technology? Um, I've been to the White House. Um, I've met the Attorney General Eric Holder a couple of times. I uh, met other um, officials from the NIJ, National Institute of Justice. They came to Ireland and visited us and published a report on our technology. Um, I, pro- I have to say a lot of talk went on, but not, as, not the, the actions to follow it haven't really come through for us. But I will say that... Uh, one thing, one trip that was very, worth, very much worth my while was a few months ago I went to America. Um, the Smart Tech Foundation in California launched a challenge um, to see what sort of technologies were out there. We made a proposal and submitted it in um, March, the end of March, and we got a letter last week to say that they were, we, we won the competition basically and they were awarding us $100,000 um, in funding. So. Some of the trips have been more worthwhile than than others. Do you think, and this is a question for both of you, do you think that the implementation of uh, smart guns will sort of curb this anti-gun sentiment and um, maybe turn people around and say, well, you know, now guns are okay, they're not as bad as we thought because there's these safety mechanisms. Do you think that that's, you know, a a true statement? No way. Well, I think I respect another man's sport. I mean, you know, it's like a religion people um, brought up with guns in America. So, and I respect their right to, to have guns. Um, I do remember one time as a child myself, I was out shooting with my dad and we were shooting ducks over a lake and I took aim and I fired and I shot a duck and I went to take aim at a second one and my dad stopped me and said, that's another man's sport. You know, so we have to respect all sorts of persuasions and religions and... Um, let the gun owners be out there, but also let people uh, maybe promoting safer guns and smart gun technology, let the market decide um, what they're going to adopt. I certainly think there's a place where, especially amongst women in the home, there's a lot of women there saying that they would like to have guns in the home for self-protection, but they're worried about them with children around, whereas the smart gun, which is child-proof, is the compromise um, solution, and there's been surveys to support uh, demand for that. Yeah, I, I can't Chris, what disagree with. I, I cannot disagree with Rob at all. I think he and I are are right in line on on this side of the issue. From my viewpoint, smart gun technology is technology. It is, and we're going to progress. And there may be some really good things that we can do with this. That that we can we can move ahead. It's when when the law when 
law gets involved. The law is a is a blunt instrument. The law is not smart. The law does not select good and evil. The law just selects that which violates the law. And so, when if there are mandates, I'll oppose it strenuously. But as far as the technology itself, I'm not going to stand across the railroad tracks of, of technology because you get run over. So this is, uh, I, I think it has, it has potential particularly for, um, for a gun in the home for, uh, for somebody who has somebody that is, they're concerned about or small children. Uh, it's, I, I think it has potential, but it's not, a, it's not a game changer. I don't think it's, a, it's something that will reverse anybody's viewpoints about guns in general. All right, we have uh, just a couple questions that have come in that I want to get to. Uh, the first question that's being asked is, would you guys support putting your eligibility for purchasing a gun on your government ID and thereby replacing background checks? This is Chris, and from my viewpoint, that that might be... I might go with that. Actually, I would rather see somebody that's a prohibited person have that tagged on their ID. That I think that's a much better idea because they're the guy that's prohibited. Everybody else is, you know, this is America. We assume innocence. So um, as, a, as a compromise, I could see putting, putting my uh, ID on a driver's license that I am not a prohibited person. Does that indicate they're a gun owner? No. In fact, I know here in Arizona, I know of a daycare center that the first thing they did when people signed on to become a daycare worker, they would make that person go and get a a concealed carry permit. Why? Because it's going through a background check. And they didn't have any guns, but they they knew that this person at least was not a felon or adjudicated mentally incompetent. All right, now, Robert, I have a question for you. Uh, This question asks, would your technology work on all guns, Uh, for example, assault rifles? Yes, it's possible to probably retrofit most um, existing guns. Some guns, very small guns in particular, or polymer plastic guns would be pretty difficult or impossible and probably not viable for us to do, but... And depending on the model going, I think we could retrofit most guns, yes. Okay. Uh, here's another question, and this one uh, I guess we'll give to Chris. This, this question asks, uh, and I guess this is from someone who is more of a, uh, an anti-gun um, or comes from an anti-gun standpoint, what's the big deal about limiting magazine size from, you know, a large magazine to a small magazine? Can't you still achieve your goal? So I guess this question, this, this person wants to know, you know, because everyone's raising this, this issue, oh, you want to reduce the size of magazines, but, you know, two bullets, ten bullets, what's the difference? What's your take? I don't like magazine limits at all, and I think they're limitations of fundamental rights. The problem is, that, and the real problem is that magazines are so simple. It's a box. It's a spring and a follower. It works exactly like a Pez dispenser. There's nothing magical there at all. And I think a lot of these ideas of technology limitations that people have are, um, they spring from basically an ignorance of 
how guns work, how they operate. Uh, my brother made a very functional extended magazine, quote, quote, using a, some file folders and some rubber bands and the, uh, the top of a, of a regular magazine, and he extended it out, and it worked. I mean, not very reliably, but he, he proved the principle. So these are simple machines. You cannot make technology go away. I can't make smart gun technology go away, and you can't make magazine technology go away. It's just that simple. The wishing won't make it so. But now to the, to the question or to the asker's point, with respect to the limitation on magazines, is, is your position that it violates my civil rights because under the Second Amendment I have the ability to, to own a weapon, and if I want to have a magazine with 20 bullets in it versus five, that's just my constitutional right? Um, or is there another reason why you know, this objection to the size of the magazine is such a hot issue? Well, it, I'll, I'll tell you, and, and in New Jersey, I know that you guys are dealing with this directly. In right. New Jersey, you've got, uh, the, the question is, you know, we can, we can set aside the principles from, for a few minutes and, it, uh, and get into practical, how are you going to enforce this? There's an installed base. There's millions upon millions of magazines out there anyway. When the Clinton assault weapon ban went in, it was in there for 10 years. And yet there were pre-banned, the world was awash in pre-banned magazines um, that are new, probably still new in the package from, uh, from 1993 because people saw that, or from 1994, because people saw that this was coming in. So how are you going to do it? Are you going to prohibit possession? Well, I can't promise, I can't swear under threat of a felony, a felony prosecution that there's not a 15 or 30 round magazine out in my garage and among my gun stuff. There, I've got magazines for guns I don't own. There is, um, so if you just ban the manufacture and transfer, well, you've got an installed base that is not going to go away for 50 years maybe a hundred years. Magazines are simple machines. They are, there's, there's nothing complex there. And to dream that you can pass a law and make the thing go away, it's not going to happen. Uh, technology is, the technology is here to stay. All right, Robert, I have a question for you. Um, this person wants to know what increased cost they would be looking at uh, with RFID handguns, is it going to be more expensive, less expensive, or the same price? Oh, it's definitely more expensive, I think. Um, uh, probably, we, we think when economies of scale kick in, that it will probably add 150 or $200 to the cost of, of each gun. Um, that's but the first one is going to cost a million. That's why the hundred thousand we just got was most welcome. But we're still, we're still short. We still need more to, to, to actually get a production model ready and out there, for the market. But yeah, I'd say 150, 200 bucks is probably the extra cost. But not everybody buys. I mean, I don't know if Chris there sounds like a guy that maybe has more than one gun. We don't all buy the cheapest suit in the shop or the cheapest mobile phone that costs ten, twenty dollars. We, a lot of us have smartphones that cost 500 Similarly, gun owners don't always go for the, 
the cheapest, cheapest gun in the shop. Some spend thousands and tens of thousands on guns. So I think there's a market there for for um, smart guns at a price. Well, you know, um, that, that comes down to one thing, people paying for safety. And I know for uh, at least a lot of the women that I know who – uh, either their husbands want guns and they won't let them get them, or um, you know, my lawyer friend in Pennsylvania whose wife is also an active shooter. I think that they would pay more to ensure, or at least in their mind, have some semblance of assurance of safety with respect to their children. Now, um, you know, Chris, would you pay more? Myself, for for my choice, I don't think I don't think that I would go with it. It might be an interesting gun to have in a collection. I'm not, um, and it's uh, and as a last ditch thing, I, the concern that I have is that people might uh, treat it and say, "Oh, look, it won't go off," and and not and lose their muzzle awareness, lose their uh, and lose their muzzle discipline, and the kinds of things that uh, and it might cause accidents. Now. Now I know that I'm sounding like the people who argued against seatbelts uh, because people would drive uh, would drive more recklessly. Too fast. So well, you know, it's a bit I, like it, going back to the argument there, where they with the with the dog not being on the leash and the gun owner that was too quick to fire in, fire into the ground. You got the gun owner arguing about dog control, and you got the the dog guy arguing arguing about gun control. That's right. So I, I understand that totally, and, and so again, I, th- this technology. I think there's a, I think there's a place for this technology. There may be things that uh, it, it may lead to places that neither of us can that none of us can imagine right now, and it's exciting. I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of potential here. It's right, the and there's another. Go ahead, Robert. You were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say the, the other thing about education. Education is a very good tool and should be used. But we've all told our five-year-olds, you know, uh, trained them how to use the bathroom, and they still have accidents in their pants, you know. So it's not totally perfect just to tell every child, don't touch, uh, walk away, whatever the, the rhyme that uh, Chris had there. Not every kid. Some kids are going to pick up that gun and be curious. Let's it see is, if we can it squeeze is a in. In depth. It's, a, it's a layer, and, and that I agree with. And there, like I said, there may be the right place for children, incompetent adults, uh, autistic kids is a really great example. So there are places that this could be, this could be a literally a lifesaver. All right, let's try to squeeze in one more caller before we uh, we, we sign off today. Hi, caller. What's your name and what's your question? Hello. Caller, are you there? All right, looks like we lost them. Um, all right, let's just touch on one more topic before we sign off today. Um, and that topic I want to touch on is educating gun safety and what you think each of you um, you should be doing. With, you know, I completely understand Robert's position about this other level of safety, but let's just talk for one brief second uh, education of gun safety is important. It's something that I think that we should see in schools, that we should see, you know, across the country. And and I know for a fact that, you know, in my kids' school, there's no gun safety laws. I mean, I'm in New Jersey, and, and I'm in an area where, you know, it's not a rural area. We're, we're not going to have a lot of 
um, uh, of, of guns for you know sport purposes. Um, there's there's not an area where you go hunting, so there's no education in, in the school that my kids go to. How critical do you guys think that education is? We've already said it's important, but what do you what would you like to see? Do you think that that it should be mandated, even though we don't like that word, but mandated across the country for education in schools? I you know my kids know not to walk too close to a train for fear of being sucked in, and I think that video has been playing for years and years across the country. Um, what do you think about across the board education in schools about gun safety? Well, Chris, what's your I, take? I certainly support it, and uh, I I would love to see more of it. Um, and the the NRA has been doing really good work with this Eddie Eagle program. Of course, there are some, and the, the folks on the anti side were uh, they call it they called Eddie Eagle Joe Camel for guns. <laughs> which is really an unfair accusation and because Eddie Eagle is neutral. And so kids need to understand that, uh, understand what guns are, what they're capable of, and there should be at least some kind of training. And in my area in Arizona, if you walk into a house, chances are probably uh, are at least 50-50 and probably better than 75-25. That you're, that you're going to, uh, that somebody is going, that there's going to be a gun in that house. So that is the, uh, that's just the reality people live with. And to pretend that it's not there is, I, I think, irresponsible. Robert, do you agree that there should be, you know, mandatory education in schools on guns? Honestly, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be pretentious enough to say that I'm entitled to an opinion on that. As somebody, I'm brought up in a different culture in Ireland. Uh, the idea that we'd have uh, classes at school on guns just would be considered uh, probably a waste of time in our, in our, in our community, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I'd leave that to yourselves. All right, let's take one more call. Caller, are you there? Hello, caller? It looks like it's the same call, so we seem to be having problems with, uh, with that call. All right, so, um, you know, I'd like to uh, conclude here today by saying that uh, I think that, you know, we're always going to be debating guns. It's, it's been since the beginning of, uh, of, of you know, history of, of firearms. Everybody's had positions on whether they're safe, whether they should be regulated, and I think that uh, most important to remember is that, you know, in this country, we do have to protect our constitutional rights. And we have to question, at the very least, question whether or not certain laws are beneficial if they become too controlling, too restrictive, if they're taking away our rights as citizens, uh, or if they're putting rights in the hands of people who, um, who are going to be acting um, in a controlling manner. Um, such as, you know, in Massachusetts, I mean, I, I have a little bit of concern with making a, a police officer or a captain or, or, you know, whoever it might be, the determinant factor in whether or not you get a permit, because unfortunately we're, we're human. Regardless of what country you're from, um, you're human, and you might have a personal vendetta against somebody that applies for a gun. And even though you have a duty to be fair and honest and whatever, you know, you just might feel like, uh, hey, I don't like this person. I'm not going to give him a permit. 
and you've got the ultimate power, and that concerns me because that's not what this country is about. So I want to thank both of you today for being on. Uh, let me get you guys both to give out your contact information so that if people want to learn more about your organizations and, and Robert, your product, uh, you can do that. So, Robert, you start first. Where can people contact you and learn more about TriggerSmart? Uh, very easy. Uh, Robert at TriggerSmart.com is my email address, and our website is uh, www.TriggerSmart.com. Thanks okay. for having me on the show, and nice talking to you and Chris. Absolutely. Thank you, Robert. Chris, let everybody know where they can reach out to you. Yes, sir. We can be reached at firearmcoalition.org. I can be reached at chris at firearmscoalition.org. And, uh, again, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. Robert, good luck with, your, with the project. Um, and it's, it sounds like this is, uh, this is an interesting technology, and I, I hope it does well for you. Okay, and thanks for the good wishes, and likewise to yourself and your organization. All right, Chris and Robert, thank you very much for being on. We'll uh, stay in touch, and uh, hopefully you guys will come back on soon. Hey, right. I'd Take care. I'd love to. Take care. Bye. Bye. Very good. Bye. Bye. All right, so we just had uh, Robert McNamara of Trigger Smart on, along with um, Chris Knox from the Firearms Coalition, and we talked about gun control, gun safety, and this uh, this RFID radio frequency technology on guns uh, is very interesting. I think that if you want to learn more about uh, the technology that Robert's speaking about, you should check out his website. He's got some good videos and demos on there, uh, as well as some cross-sections of guns and how the technology would fit into, um, into handguns and, and other, um, other guns as well, rifles and shotguns and things of that nature. Um, and I would also recommend that you check out what Chris is doing over at the Firearms Coalition. Uh, gun control, gun safety, interesting topics. I would say that uh, education in school is something really that I would like to see. I mean, because there are guns across the country, and, and regardless of uh, safety technology, regardless of, um, you know, trying to scare kids straight, I think that education is always one of the, the best tools, the best weapons. Um, you, you know, look at, uh, look at smoking, for example, right now. Now, obviously, the scary commercials doesn't stop everybody from smoking, but it's a campaign, and, and I'm not even getting into it, though, be, you know, with respect to who's funding the campaigns and how uh, you know, Big Tobacco is still making money off of this. That's for another time. But my point is that educating people is a good weapon. My kids see these scary commercials with these guys that are like breathing out of holes in their necks and the wheezing, and you know, they're like, oh, my God, I'm never going to pick up a cigarette. As a matter of fact, you know, if I see somebody selling them, I'm going to run. I mean, that's, that's a good thing to an extent. Obviously, I'm, I'm being facetious, but it's a good thing to have education. I think education is the key to success in life in so many areas, and I think especially in gun safety. I'm not necessarily a proponent of gun legislation. I don't think that our rights as American citizens should be trampled upon. I think that we're in this country with the freedoms that we were afforded, uh, going back to our founding fathers, and that's something that we should be proud of and that we should nurture and continue. However, I do understand the issue of a gun being, uh, as some would consider it to be, an inherently dangerous weapon. And so what's the best solution? We could employ all the technology you want, but I think education is key. 
And obviously, regardless of what we do, technology-wise or how we educate people, you are not going to stop people who are criminally minded from getting a weapon. You know, box cutters, knives, rolled up newspapers can be weapons. And, and those people who are intent on, on committing a crime, we're never going to stop them. But I think that uh, Robert McNamara's technology does have a place because it could protect people who have um, access to legally owned firearms from doing something that could harm others or harm themselves. I also think that education is critical. And, uh, and quite frankly, I think that gun owners need to be responsible. They need to look as a parent, right? I, I can't blame everything on my kids. I need to take responsibility for some of their actions because I'm the one who's guiding them and educating them. And gun owners need to take that same responsibility. You know, the, the lawyer friend of mine that I spoke about in Pennsylvania, very, very on top of safety. And he's got a lot of guns. I mean, he's got quite a collection. But he makes sure that his kids are educated, that they're locked, that you, know, you don't have access to them, that he doesn't leave them around. And, and I respect that because that is a, a responsible gun owner. Just about everything in my garage could be considered a weapon. You know, saws and screwdrivers and, and, and kids can get hurt with it. You know, I've had cases where kids have put their hands over um, uh, table saws and their fingers have gone flying out into the hallway of their school. So is it a weapon? No, but it's, it's got the potential to be dangerous. And so what's the uh, defense against that? Education. We educate kids on proper handling of tools. A gun can be a tool. We need to have proper education as well. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining me. If you have comments, about this show, please make sure that you leave them. Um, you can leave them on our Facebook page. You can, uh, you can tweet us. Um, look for the video, which will be uploaded to YouTube shortly. Put your comments. Put your questions. Um, clearly, both guests would like to be back on, and I'd like to have them back on, and, uh, and they can answer some additional questions. So I want to encourage you to comment, leave questions, and tell me what topics you'd like to see discussed on the show and we'll do our best to bring those topics to you and have those guests on. I also want to remind you about our free app. And again, I can't stress the importance of this free app. Stop going on the Internet and looking for answers to your legal questions when they're being answered by paralegals or, or non-lawyers. We offer a free app exclusively for the iPhone and the iPad. And I mean free. No in-app purchases. There's no catch. Download the app, and there's an option where you can ask a question directly from your phone or iPad. It goes directly to a lawyer in my office, and somebody will give you an email answer back. Nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to solicit you. This is a pure public service that we offer. Send your question in. You'll get an answer, and you're going to get an answer from a licensed attorney. So I think there's a value in that. Um, you know, we try to educate people on the law. That's the whole purpose of this show and on a Monday show so, um, you know, it's there for you. It's a tool. Download it. It's free. Obviously, also, you'll get access to our full video library, as well as the ability to listen to Understanding the Law Radio directly from your phone 
or iPad. So uh, do yourselves a favor, download the app, and ask your questions. You'll get answers. I want to remind everybody that Monday's show um, will be 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, and we're going to go through the, uh, the week in review. Uh, there's a ton of legal news this Monday that we're going to get to uh, very, very interesting cases. We've got everything from uh, Disney World issues and lawsuits down to uh, a woman who was arrested for leaving her eight-year-old at the, at the park to play for a while. Um, so very, very interesting topics. Call in on Monday. Ask your questions. Join the conversation. Call in number to this show is 347-855-8831. So join us Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern, and get involved. You know, understand your rights, understand the law, and, uh, and, and let your voice be heard. So thank you all for joining me today. Thank you for the questions. Uh, Robert, thank you for calling in. Your free mug will be to you. Uh, and I just want you to remember that there's power in understanding the law. 